Welcome to the Health Design Podcast. Here's your host, Moyes Jiwa. My guest on the podcast today, David Ross, lives with Cowden Syndrome, a condition that predisposes him to multiple cancers. In this podcast, he talks about the experience of having that diagnosed and setting up a support group. In his own words, here is David Ross. I'm really pleased that you've taken the time to have this conversation with me. I feel sure that our listeners are going to really find your story interesting. Who is David Ross? I'm David Ross. I'm from the UK and I have a rare disease called Cowden syndrome. It's a one in 200,000 rare condition and it carries an increased risk of getting certain cancers linked to uh, delays, um, autism for some, um, benign growth, that sort of thing. Tell us about the point at which that diagnosis was made. Now, I understand there was a family member with this condition as well. My mother, she was diagnosed with uh, thyroid cancer in her 50s, and then a few years after that, diagnosed with Cowden syndrome. About a year before she passed away, she passed away in 2015, late, late 2015, and so she gave me a letter with instructions to give to my doctor should I want to get tested for the same condition as her. So at that time, I was, I don't know, really kind of busy leading a life, no obvious symptoms of feeling any, any sort of discomfort. But also there's probably a bit of denial. Once after she, uh, she passed, I, I decided that, well, actually, I, I better get tested. So about a year later... I was diagnosed and yeah, just over a year later, it it was 2017, I was diagnosed and was found to have had the carrier of the same condition. Tell me about what it was like living with her at the time. What were her symptoms? Was she unwell a lot of the time or was she relatively well? What was it like? So she was in hospital uh, when she was 11 her thyroid and growing up with her she appeared okay in some respects but physically not able to do much no obvious things at that time but since I've become aware and educated about Kelden syndrome she, she kind of suffered with the symptoms more than what we thought she she worked so she was kind of active and she had her interests and her family but the symptoms were always there. The, uh, the physical symptoms, uh, like a, a big head, uh, issues with your skin. That, that That's also part of what people with Cowden syndrome have. So I know really she wasn't quite. And she suffered with epilepsy. Some people, I've had it. Uh, some people with, with Cowden syndrome have epilepsy. So physical issues. But... I know we just carried on kind of a bit blinkered, really. So I suppose I, I don't know whether it's a good thing, but one thing that came out of uh, her thyroid cancer was this diagnosis, which gave her more understanding of, of her health. And obviously, for me, it was kind of like it's good that I at least know that I had the condition. So there you were, seemingly well. You know, your mom was ill. And you had an inkling that something wasn't quite right. And then you got the diagnosis. 
what was that moment like for you? Because you, you then began to put all the pieces of the jigsaw together and you could see what was happening to her and how it had unfolded. How did you see that impacting on your life? I didn't really know what to do or how to handle it. I, I was still about 18 months after my mum passed. and The bereavement was still pretty raw then. So it was kind of like being hit by something really heavy, a 10-ton drug. I, I, I don't know. It was kind of, who do I turn to for support about it? The rock of the family, the glue of the family wasn't there anymore. I don't come from a big family. And what my family members are spread out, and an uncle um, over in Dublin, as mentioned. So I really didn't know what to do. I, I didn't. I, I felt a lot of things, but I don't. I didn't know how to channel those feelings, and I felt I had to act on them. Process those feelings did take a few months. Not only alongside that, um, I have a daughter, and I wanted to get her tested. Uh, it was uh, it was my choice. My wife's choice, our choice, we didn't have to. We had really good support from the genetic counsellor, a doctor, I have to say. Um, so we got her tested. Fortunately, she doesn't have it. So there felt like a lot to really deal with them. And then kind of after that, where next? And I felt I had to act on that quickly. I, I suppose I, I, I needed to know that the, uh, the hospital got some information about online support groups. So I you know a few weeks really i got in contact with the support groups at the uk charity my rare disease and a facebook support group and really started talking to people that I'd, I'd never met from in the uk and around the world and that started something that starting start of a life changing process for me i would say you're listening to the health design podcast with your host moyes jiwa In many ways, this is a very typical story of patients with rare conditions, that they find the support and the information they need online, often from other patient advocates. Tell us a little bit about that. How did you make the connection and how did you find that support? And to what extent did that support then dovetail with the medical help that you were getting? The medical support I've received has been really good, really supportive specialist. But what it it couldn't provide was the emotional support in terms of connecting with other people and also I actually hearing from other patients this is still not a lot known about the condition or enough information it put more awareness of how patients were affected by the condition I remember my when we used to look at things online oh god that's that uh, a bit like me uh, or that's certainly like my mother so uh, you're starting to learn and understand as, as well as connect the connection with, uh, was uh, at first I think it was really amazing you're talking to people from around the world particularly America more than more vocal and that gave me a kind of strength in terms of like, do you know what? My mum isn't here anymore, but I have something there. And also, and that turned in quickly into kind of advocacy. That word was banded about. I hadn't heard of it before. And it was like, 
too late to do anything for my mother. So I started to be involved in advocacy with the American organization. I've heard that expression for own your own your rare disease, and I think that's kind of kind of true. Although I think that sometimes I can take over that in too much advocacy to make it. You know, you're still a person, a father. A guy goes out to work. A guy has an interest. But yeah, at that time, yeah, you, you wanted to take take it on and, and and help others really. That kind of for a period that helped with my bereavement around my mother, and that, as well as finding out more about this condition through that constant speaking to patients, being closer to patients, set up a support group, and like I said, the American organisation. So yeah, for a period that that was going really well, we I was involved in a clinical trial uh, over at Boston for a drug that would help with some of the effects of the, my condition at Boston Children's Hospital, went over eight times, took my daughter twice, I, I went to a patient symposium in America. If, you know, looking back, it was like a lot going on. And, you know, you know, you would have to say that I was a positive. The people who, who set up the drug called Patriot, there was minimal expense, really, apart from the times we spent over there. Joe, you know yeah, it felt good. Although it's not good to have it, you wouldn't choose it. It, it, it felt good. My daughter, you know, we we were kind of, you know, we met some families over in in America. Something that doesn't really get sp- uh, spoken about, really, when you're involved in a clinical trial, especially one um, where you're travelling far. So uh, after that point, that was that was great. But yeah, that was great. So at that stage, yeah, that was um. So that was just before COVID. The trial ended. So yeah, I felt it was making a difference. Whole idea of emotional support and mental health and that side of things. You've touched on that as you recall your journey with this condition. I think it depends on the individual, depends on the circumstances, depends on the severity of the disease. But I suppose starting from one point, whilst I was involved in the advocacy, connecting with some amazing female advocates, but I'm aware that not really any men and for me two things firstly there needs to be more men speaking about what they're going through but for me I needed to find more voice in all this because it was kind of like you know I'm not really not able to do things like this now almost really not really being able to speak about what I'm going through where I felt support needed for others as well as myself so I got connected with someone from America at the start of COVID I don't know we just connected straight away she has a rare disease, um, an advocate, and I was talking about this, and she was like, yeah, great idea. And she connected me with two other guys who were patient advocates as well. And I know we just hit it off straight away, really. We talked about the idea of needing something for men out there. So we decided to set up Zoom calls for rare disease male patient carers once a month last Sunday of every month, that's always been the way since. Well, it was just like um, guys getting together, talking about what they're, they're going through, offering support, building each other up, giving people space, really. That's gone from a slow strength to strength, I think I would say, ever since. So we're coming up to almost two years. And yeah, that's been quite amazing, really. It's quite been quite amazing to see guys turn up regularly, guys come and go, guys share things that, well, I can relate to even though I'm, I'm kind of silent and not really interacting all the time. 
The Health Design Podcast is hosted by the Journal of Health Design, an alliance with unfixed media and metal health. And it's good to share for myself, really, about what I'm going through. So it's been, yeah, I mean, I think last, I said this to a few people, uh, last November we had the meeting, well, and, and actually February, Rare Disease Day, but, we, had, you know, there's been a couple of meetings where there have been men from five different continents. And, you know, that's amazing. And, you know, I'd never thought I would be doing something like that. And, and you know, that's been... A little bit of help from a few others, but that's been really down to me, really, connecting with these guys, getting close to them, asking them to come, perhaps nagging them a little bit, you know, know, it'd be great to see you there. You appreciate Sundays is a a busy day for some, but my view is I'm only asking once a month. I'm not asking them to come every month. Try it out, you know, talk at a pace that's comfortable for you. you. You can just listen in. But yeah, I think having a rare disease comes with many added layers and it's easy to really get overwhelmed with, with that. And, you know, self-care, that can mean whatever to the individual. But like, I really think, you know, it's important really that whilst we wait for cures, treatments for our conditions, we, we do need to take care of our emotional and mental well-being. I, I think... Uh, there's a lot of, um, I think change is part of life, which is good, but having a rare disease can come with more than a few unexpected changes. They can be um, bigger, more have more of an impact, sometimes in a negative way or, or more, yeah, or more often than not than a negative way. So I think that talking about it is really key. And it's it's something that I, I, I wouldn't have done before my diagnosis, but something now I, I, I've... Yeah, I, I do regularly. I've I've had counselling myself one to one, and I'm sure I, at some stage in my life I would need it again. It, it needs to be cut, become. I like to see the mental health being treated the same as the physical, really. Um, for the obviously for the general population, but definitely for having a rare disease, I think it's just something that, as as I said before, something so essential, really. Talk a little bit about the kind of issues that men were bringing to these forums which they may not have easily addressed in the past we, we set up topics we sometimes have speakers so i'll start with the topics it'd be like bereavement being a rare dad uh, relationships but sometimes you know like the last one we had was a kind of an open discussion where we just talked about life in general and and that kind of range from what someone had been up to last time and, and yeah someone was talking about a new diagnosis and that would mean uh, a real ch- a change in their situation not for the good but their their determination to kind of keep going as they are was something that felt was important to them so yeah, it's nice to sort of let it flow like that and not have that um, structure, which it, it works both ways. Um, yeah, I try to have a balance with all that, really. Rare relationships, working as well, whilst having a rare disease. That was mentioned at our last meeting. How in the advocacy space that can be an expectation that just because you're around, the, the assumption is everyone 
actually doesn't work because they were rare. It well, actually, some of us do. So yeah, just talking about the issues that are impacting our lives, really. I would say there's pretty much, yeah, pretty much not meant, not much things that haven't been discussed. What does that actually mean? Give us a, a concrete example of of an issue that has come up that has impacted on these patients. Starting from being a rare father and talking about my experience with that briefly, having a daughter that doesn't have a Redis condition disease is great, but she has to, at times, when I go and have my checkup scans at the hospital, that's something that worries her. She's also lost a gran to a rare disease, and last year we lost my nephew to a different rare disease. So that's left a big hole in the heart of my family. And and that's made me work, need to work a bit harder, and she's almost 16 now, to have conversations that are relevant for her. And I've actually had the, the support I've had around that is from a, a, like um, talking in the group, but another rare father who comes to group as well, having one to one with him. So, yeah, there's those kind of issues around that for her. Kind of sometimes, you know, now I'm on a call and, and other times I've been on a call, and sometimes uh, I, I'm not always able to give her attention, which I don't know really. That's kind of, that, that doesn't make me, that makes me who I am, but that doesn't make, perhaps make me. Would I say the word normal dad? So that that that's one issue. Um, we've also had kind of like uh, some of the guys are, are, are with partners, and they're talking about the issues around relationships, finding someone because of um, their health, and finding someone who accepts their health can be a problem, a challenge. And that's another thing. Also. Making decisions around around your health is something that requires constant thought, uh, constant a lot of energy. Taking care of yourself, changes to what you may be going through, and following up with the doctors. So I don't know, those are a few things. So looking back at the point at which you had the diagnosis, you talked about being referred very early on to online forums and for support. But your work has changed things again, and you've built on what was available. In what way do you think that things have changed since the time that you were diagnosed? I think things have changed in the sense that I've become more experienced being an advocate. You know, you're giving your time, it's free. That's totally fine and not the issue. But if you're doing this, you want to make it worthwhile. It's really important for it to be worthwhile. So... There's lots of amazing people doing some things. I don't want to do what, what they're doing. There's a few other male groups that specific to rare disease. But there's nothing for mental health. So I saw this gap and I, I felt definitely needed to fill it. The Journal of Health Design. Fostering collaboration. Amplifying the voice of health advocates. Growing a network to improve outcomes in healthcare. I think things have changed for me on a personal level. I kind of, um, and that's something I wanted to bring to the podcast, how actually not having the family network, the support no once had, has kind of made me realise the importance of taking care of myself with my mental health and talking about what I'm going through, seeking support even more important. And also 
yeah, almost I feel like keep working on me to be a better me because I need to do that for myself. But not only to my daughter, we, we don't have people around us. That's unfortunately what it is. But we that means we have to, or, or I have to really make better choices for me and, and which will hopefully influence her when she kind of, more or less grown up now but you know when she grows up so there's kind of changes your life in the way there and my diagnosis has, has brought that thought process kind of to me really about or oh, I've had to I've, ha- I've had to be better. Say some more about the work that you've been doing you've clearly been an advocate now for a little while and you've involved in this area of mental health particularly for men with rare conditions how is that going? Sometimes I don't think it's going fast enough, but actually that's my own critique of myself. It is going well. It's established. It's regular. There's not enough of me to go around, but considering your, your success and what you do, it's pretty amazing. It's, I've talked about it with others about where I'd like it to go. I, I would like it to, if I'm getting the time of focus, well, you know, Possibly, I would like to see a non-profit for mental health, rare disease mental health for men and women, because I, I still think while science is progressing, it's certainly over the past 20 years, I still think diseases out there that there won't be a cure for a number of reasons. Whilst we wait for, for those, those treatments, cures, what are we supposed to do? And, and I think that support is, is needed for men and women. Or oh, there's there's one particular parent of mine. She would love to come to the group, but she's a woman. She has a son who has a rare disease. She has a rare disease as well. That's one example. There's also partners, male partners who have females with rare diseases. I still think there's a need for, for more support, and I would like I would like that to turn into something bigger. Yeah, that, that that's something that kind of, at the moment, I can't commit 100% to that. But yeah, that's something that is a possibility. I think the more of me could support more people around the world, I would like to see, so for some rare disease, they, they talk about healthcare guidelines in Europe and America. And, and we're talking about some of that universal healthcare guidelines. And I'd like to see that for around the world. I, different healthcare providers, I understand that. It would be nice to have some general guidelines because certainly for my rare disease, there's some things that happen in Europe around it that are different to America, quite a bit different. And I like that combined with the mental health side, really, more universal guidelines, really. So, yeah, it's going well. I would, of course, say there's still a lot to do. But, yeah, keep doing what I'm doing. And, you, you know, you're heading in the right direction. So, yeah, I'm hopeful for the future. Rare diseases are, are rare by definition, but a lot of the experiences of people with rare disease are not rare. They are quite common in healthcare. They're quite common for people with other chronic illnesses which, are, which aren't rare, which are quite common. And there is the resonance in terms of your ability to influence things that are above and beyond the whole area of rare disease, your ability to influence healthcare, to empower patients. Do you want to comment on that? I think through connection, through organisation, through having a strong purpose, I think you can, we can make a difference between the things we share in common, whilst 
we have our own specific uh, rare diseases. Some of the symptoms we suffer are more or less the same. And I, I, I think through communication, through connection, those things can be supported, maybe overcome together. Whilst um, I, my group is familiar with rare diseases, uh, with the mental health uh, non-profit for men and women, and with other opportunities, with working with people with chronic conditions, I, I see that as something that will benefit us all in the future. So yeah, keep the communication, keep connected with people and see what, what, what opportunities come ahead that will benefit us all in the future. David Ross, you're right. Things are not going fast enough. And there's certainly not enough of you to go around. But through the work that you're doing and through forums like this, we aim to forge collaboration, to amplify your voice and to build networks so that the difference that you are making to your community is vastly expanded to include all of healthcare. Thank you so much for taking the time to speak with me today. Thanks for the invite. The Health Design Podcast, serving patient and physician advocates. Visit us at journalofhealthdesign.com.